You won't like it much. The body will complain. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do it. So, really, there's no way to avoid the discomfort that comes along with intensive meditation practice. That having been said, so expect discomfort. It'll be your teacher, it'll be part of the teachings. That having been said, if you can find a way, if you're on a cushion, to get enough height, and if your hips can open enough, so that your body can really be supported by your legs and your knees, and not all of the pressure being taken by your back, it will be very helpful. Maybe you need an extra cushion to get up a little higher. If you see the way I'm sitting kind of forward a little bit, this tripod that's created by the legs, the open hips, sitting on the edge of my cushion a bit, so that I can be upright and I'm not, my back is not in pain yet. Without being rigid or stiff, relaxed and upright. A chair is a great idea for you. There's nothing at all spiritual about sitting on the ground. Nothing at all. The Buddha was sitting on the ground because he did not have a chair. (laughs) There's nothing spiritual about this posture. It's just, eventually, a good way to sit still. It's a supportive way. Once you kind of get used to it and you get open, you can sit like this for hours. A good way to be sitting and practice. Looks cool, too. It's a judgment. Yeah, it looks cool. Actually, (laughs) when I grew up, seeing people sit like this. I grew up around you weird Buddhists. I thought it was the weirdest, most uncool looking thing ever. Eventually, conditioned to say, oh yeah, that's cool. That's the Buddha statue. Yeah, they sit like that. Full lotus. Cool is a judgment. It's just sitting. And as Vinny will talk about tonight, sitting is only one aspect of Mindfulness. It's only one of the postures that we practice in. So feel free to sit in chairs, please. And if you're sitting in a chair, again, find a way that supports you. Some, some suggest to sit a little bit on the edge of the chair so that you can uh, have a, a back that is straight so you're not too slumped. There'll be time, there's extra cushions. Find what you need. If your knees don't go down, some extra cushions to support your legs will work. We encourage you to um, kind of have your spot. But if you want to go up and down between a chair and a cushion, there's plenty of chairs. It's fine. Uh, if you're in great physical pain or you know, your body, if there's something going on, it's fine to lay down. Most teachers here will say, don't lay down in the hall unless you really have 
a medical condition that needs that to happen. And I also encourage you, and here, this is a sitting meditation room. I encourage you to sit up. But if you come to the place where it's unbearable and you're not able to be kind or compassionate with the sitting, you can do lying down meditation with the same power, with only a bit more danger of falling asleep. It's not like you're not going to fall asleep sitting up, but the pain of sitting up keeps us awake sometimes. Laying down is a great way to practice meditation, but it's also an easy way to crash, to fall asleep. Any questions about posture before we go on? Just to, as we arrive, many people are coming for their first retreat. I assume most people have done some meditation before. Um, doesn't matter to me. Experiment for yourself on what works. Um, if you're, you know, it's like if you see what Vinny has, he's got one of these cushions. They're called zabutons underneath his feet to give a little cushion. If there's extra ones, you could put one of those under your feet if you're going to be in a re- in a chair for the weekend. Um, your hands, wherever they're comfortable. If they rest in your lap, just like they are, fine. If they rest on your Legs, fine. The mudras is what they call the hand symbols. They're useful tricks on one level because, you know, the whole point of this, there's nothing spiritual about it. It's a technique that allows you to pay attention, right? Because when you're doing this, if you're not paying attention, your fingers will come apart. It takes intentional attention in order to keep your hand like that on your leg. And so it's a trick to help us pay attention, right? If we're sitting like this, like the Japanese like to do, then, you know, as soon as your mind wanders and you're not present in this moment, your hands will fall. So it's a good trick to keep us present, to, you know, touch the fingers. But it's not necessary. Experiment with it. Find out what works good for you. That goes for all of us in the posture, in the practices. Make these practices your own, the posture. We don't have to pretend like we're the statue, unmoving, full lotus stillness. The statue can do it because it's made of metal. We are not made of metal. Flesh and bones. How many people are at their first silent retreat? Wow. Welcome. It's not as bad as it sounds. It's not as good as it sounds either. What we practice when we say silence, we, uh, the term that we throw around is noble silence, which doesn't mean 
you never make any sound at all. It doesn't mean you're not allowed to cough or laugh or fart. You can make all those sounds. It means that unless it's a natural body sound or it's necessary communication, that we refrain from, in, from intentionally communicating with each other. In the service of keeping full attention on our own direct present time experience. It means not reading. Although you'll find that you read your shampoo container (laughs) habitually. There's the little note by the toilet that says you can recycle this brown paper by taking it down the stairs in the trash can. I've read it already like four times. All of a sudden, the bulletin boards become very interesting. There's a couple of posters up there about everything you wanted to know about poison oak and ticks. Wow, ticks are so interesting. Poison oak, amazing. Right? The mind, you know, just this craving, this drive for distraction. So the silence is, let's let go of the distractions. Let's bring full attention to our own direct experience in a gentle, understanding way. It's difficult for some. Noble silence includes not making eye contact with each other. You're welcome to make eye contact with us if you care to. You're also welcome to experiment with not making eye contact with us, with really keeping your attention. You don't have to close your eyes, but just keeping your attention inward. But we're not off limits. If you want, if you need some human contact, it's okay. Um, if you need to talk to, as they said in the, you know, they said in the manager's announcements, you can leave a note for us. If it's really hectic, there's something really present, just come talk to us or the managers. If it can wait, you can just leave a note. We'll have interviews, group interviews, uh, tomorrow and Sunday, where groups of probably nine people will come and meet with either myself or Vinny. Just to check in. If it's your first retreat, we're going to try to see you tomorrow. We're probably not going to be able to see everybody tomorrow. Just to say hello. How's it going? How'd you sleep? Any specific questions? And so in that, you'll break the silence and you'll communicate with us and with the group. And then you'll go back into the noble silence practice. Noble silence includes not listening to music, not reading, not communicating with each other intentionally, 
Although the truth is, it's kind of unavoidable, right? There's 90 people here. There's these subtle communications that happen constantly, right? When you all meet at the door. <laughs> Who's going to let who out first? There's some sort of communication, right? When you hold the door open for someone. It's a gesture. You don't have to pretend like nobody else is here. We're here together. <laughs> but with the intention of really taking this as an opportunity as a challenge, with a commitment to paying attention to your own direct experience. It's quite interesting, too, in silence, there's two things that tend to happen. Vinny pointed towards the self-centeredness that we all share, thinking about how do I look. There's a tendency on silent retreats. It's only a weekend, so it's, you don't have as much time to fantasize. But there's a tendency for these two uh, things that we've, they've even named in this kind of tradition, the Vipassana romance. Right? Now, you've all kind of introduced yourselves, and maybe you've already remembered some people's names. Some of you know each other, I'm sure. But this tendency of in silence, without really ever communicating or knowing anything about somebody else, falling in love, in your own mind, in silence, that person is such a cool meditator. (laughs) (laughs) And the fantasy that your own mind will make up, without having even, maybe you haven't even said hello. Often on retreats, we don't, people don't introduce themselves, this is... Different. You don't even know what the person's name is or anything about them, but you're just you're convinced that's your soulmate. For sure. You don't know if they're single or not, gay or straight. You have no idea, but in your mind, in the silence, you've convinced yourself. The Vipassana romance, right? Or the opposite. The vendetta. <laughs> I hate the way that person meditates. They walk too slow or too fast. Bad style. Uncool tattoos. In the silence, an opportunity to see the insanity of our judging, critical, craving minds. And this sort of distraction that we'll create without reading, without listening to music, without communicating with each other. As part of our practice, part of noble silence. Any questions about posture or um, noble silence? I understand you're discouraged from making eye contact. With each other. Yes. Not in a rude way. 
in an honoring way. You know, to really give the gift to each other of allowing people to have their own experience. Even your friend who may be on retreat with you could be very intrusive to be kind of going like, He only knows because he does it. <laughs> Psst. Psst. <laughs> so yeah, discourage it. Encourage you to take the practice as not because there's so much communication that happens. There's so much leaning outwards that happens in eye contact. So really just resting, leaning back into your own direct experience, present time awareness, your own direct. Any other questions about the silence practice or posture or anything so far? Lila, did you have a question? That's your spot. If you want to get up and down from a chair, that's fine. But not to, you know, take someone else's spot when you come back from your chair. Uh, and it's kind of clear, right? If there's a, and if, if, you're, if you're done sitting on the floor, take your zafu and put it away over there in the corner. So that if the zabutan is open, it's an open space. If there's a zafu, the round cushion on it, that space is taken. And to honor that. For each other. Shall we? This is so really funny, but what about looking at other people not making eye contact, but if they're not looking at you, part of being aware? <laughs> <laughs> There's two levels. There's one in which it's unavoidable, right? Um, and to experiment for yourself and to watch, you know, tonight, tomorrow the next day, how much time you're spending avoiding your own direct experience by looking at someone else's back or whatever, shoes. So it's not like it's a no-no, but also just experiment with, it's unavoidable, we're constantly going to see each other, there's almost a hundred of us, there is a hundred with the staff of us here, you know, so you're constantly seeing each other. And we'll talk about it. It's also part of our practice. Watch those sort what kind of thoughts, judgments, liking, disliking, pleasant, unpleasant, arises out of the seeing. Within that like, specific sitting, um, do we have to pick a posture for that sitting? And, and, and even if pain comes up, just going to sit through it? Or is it okay if you find something's not working to adjust yourself during like a 30-minute sit? Right. Um, I encourage to try to sit with it, On, but without being macho about it at all. Personally, full permission to move. Full permission to move during a sitting if it's just unbearable. If it's just too much, it just feels like it's such a distraction. You're not able to really be present. You find yourself 
avoiding what's happening because it's so uncomfortable. Feel free to shift without doing it every minute, you know. Don't kind of get into the I have to move around every second because it's so uncomfortable and I'll never get comfortable. You'll never get comfortable, right? So discomfort is part of our practice. So with full permission to move if you need to, mindfully, intentionally, becoming aware of I want to move, and then intentionally saying, take a breath and I'm going to shift. And for the, next, for the rest of the sitting, I'm going to sit like this because my knees are just aching so much. Full permission to do that. And total encouragement not to. You know what I mean? Total encouragement to sit with the discomfort. Not in a macho or tough way, but as part of our investigation. What you're aware of in that moment is discomfort. It's safe. Even though your mind is going to perhaps tell you, my leg has fallen asleep and I bet this is the beginning of gangrene. (laughs) And I'm certainly going to have to have it amputated. And then if I get a wheelchair, I'm going to get one of those cool automatic ones that can do wheelies. (laughs) Right? There's a little pain in your leg. And all of a sudden, you're in surgery and the rest of your life on crutches. Pain is totally safe. Over 20 or 30 years of sitting like this, maybe you'll blow your knees out. Probably not in a weekend. It's safe, even if your legs are falling asleep, whatever's happening. Medically, for the most part, it's safe to sit still with pain. What about writing in a journal? About what? (laughs) Is it your daily practice at home? (laughs) Uh, encourage you to not to not write because it's only a weekend if it's really important it'll still no I mean if whatever you're thinking about that you want to write down is really important it'll still be there It'll re-arise. And it's part of our practice too, right? Because we'll have this amazing thought, right? I've just created this brand new technique and I've got to write it down so I remember it and I've just, you know, figured out how to feed all of the hungry people everywhere, right? I have to write it down. My experience of when I've broken the silence and written things down on retreat, uh, is that, well, for me, A, I almost never go back and read it. You know, I never go back and read the journal that I've done. Uh, Or B, if I do go back and read it, it's like, how much acid was I on? (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) So, I feel very relaxed about these things, and I don't think they're rules. They're encouragements. 
in order to fully be in our own direct practice of mindfulness. We let go of reading and writing and talking and listening to music. And we just stay with the breath, with the body, with the mind, with the feelings. As practice. But, you know, if it gets hectic, do what you need to do. Trust yourself more than any rules or encouragements. It's your retreat, not mine. So, enjoy your retreat. But not too much. We will begin tonight with the first foundation of mindfulness. Vinny will give a talk in a few minutes about this first foundational level of present time awareness. Tomorrow we'll expand the instructions to the second foundation of mindfulness refining the present time awareness practice. And then on Sunday, we'll open to the third and fourth foundation. In the very traditional teachings, what the Buddha taught as the path to freedom from suffering, to awakening, the path of wisdom and compassion, present time awareness not being the goal, but being the foundation that only from the here and now, just getting here, just getting present, the attention in the here and now, only shows us how much suffering we have. But from the here and now, we can begin the transformation of relating differently to this body, to this mind, to our feelings, to our history, and our future, in order to make the changes that we would like to make, in order to find more well-being, more happiness, liberation, nirvana, all in the foundation from the ground of being present, being aware of what's happening internally and externally. The last uh, couple of pieces before we will take a short break, stretch. You can stand, uh, bathroom break in a in a in a minute, and then we'll come back in silence. Now we've we've now entered. We've now crossed into the noble silence practice with each other. And we'll come back and Vinny will give a talk on the first foundation and we'll sit together before bedtime.
The last thing that I want to say is that um, many of you already know how powerful this practice is. But I just want to say that uh, my experience is that most of my experience, especially in my first retreats, the first time I came to a weekend retreat, it was almost unbearable. And I thought about leaving from the moment that I got there until the moment that I actually left when it was over. It's hard work. It's so counter to the norm of our lives, most of us, that it's quite challenging for some of us to, to come and do this work. And I have left retreats when it wasn't time for me to be there. We'll encourage you to stay if, when you tell us you want to leave. Just as my teachers encouraged me to stay when I left retreats. But for some reason, I kept coming. I knew from the moment that this was the path. From the beginning. However hard it was, however much I hated it at times, however boring, uncool, I knew that this stuff worked and that nothing else that I had tried had worked for relaxation, for transformation, to do the inner work, to find freedom and change my relationship to the insanity in my mind and the discomfort and cravings in my body. This practice works. And it's not a pleasant practice all of the time. And even enlightenment doesn't mean freedom from pain. Pain is a given. Suffering as what we are seeking freedom for, from. And the more I practice, the less I suffer. Gradually, over the days and weeks and years and dozens of retreats, from weekends to weeks to ten days to months to three months in silence and practice. So that's my pitch, to go for it, to do this work, and to trust your own inner experience, and to find out for yourself whether it's true or not.
anything before we break? Do you need anything? Water. Water. I think we're not supposed to bring water in here, right? Right. You're not supposed to bring water in here. What a (laughs) jip. What kind of shit is this? God. I want to apologize to any gypsies that might be present for my friend. So we'll take a break now and you can have some water and the bathroom and a stretch. Just for, we're going to ring the bell in like five minutes. So just a stretch. We're going to come back. So as Noah said, most of what we'll be investigating together are the four foundations of mindfulness. Or what the Buddha called the Satipatthana. And in this discourse, which he gave a number of times, most of the schools of Vipassana are derived from. So it's really the foundation, as Noah said. And the reason I think the Buddha offered this as a practice these four foundations, was to really delve into and explore the Four Noble Truths. It's kind of a way to experience it directly. Really apply it to our lives. And without this foundation, it's like building a castle made out of sand. So I really try to consider it the foundation which I'm going to build something on, build my practice on. But before he even dropped the four foundations on people, he asked them to go inward, to let go of the outside world, to let go of the past, the future, even their ideas about the present, to go inside and find out what was real. So let me lay out the four foundations as I understand them. The first one being the body. The second one being mindfulness of feelings. The third one, mindfulness of mind. And the fourth one gets a little tricky. Mindfulness of the Dharma. Or one translation I found, mindfulness of the Dharma. Mindfulness of the truth in the phenomena of experience. There's a lot of different translations for this. Phenomena or mental objects. But we'll talk about that when we get to the fourth one. I can already hear the inner voices. That sounds complicated. I hate lists. What the fuck is this guy talking about? Calm down. Take a breath. Notice inner dialogue. And let's come back to the first one. Now when you practice at a retreat like this, You're practicing all of these, all the time. They just come up randomly. They don't come up in order like the lists 
presents. But, you, you know, we work with whatever's there. We're mindful of what is present. Sometimes it's feelings, sometimes it's the body, sometimes it's the mind, sometimes it's phenomena. Sometimes they even call vipassana choice, choiceless awareness. Because we don't really have a choice of what's present. It's just an ongoing show. So we work with whatever's present. As long as you're paying attention, you can't lose. And Noah mentioned something a little while ago about kind awareness, being gentle with your attention. And, the, you know, when you find yourself lost, gently pulling yourself back in a friendly way, in a kind way. Because we don't want to use this for another arena for self-judgment. So it's, it's kind awareness is the practice. But let's go to the first foundation, the mindfulness of the body. And the first time I read this, I read mindfulness of the body. And I thought I found a loophole because I spent most of my time being mindful of other people's bodies. It didn't say mindfulness of my body. It said mindfulness of the body, right? You could tell I'm a sick brother. <laughs> but that's a whole other talk. Back to what, what the Buddha meant. I think that many of us are out of touch with our bodies. You know? Just out of touch. I don't think about my body unless it hurts. I don't think about my teeth until I have a toothache. And then it's all I think about. Impermanence, my ass. I want Vicodin. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but somewhere we went numb. We just fell out of touch. You know, our normal existence doesn't have much to do with my body. You know, or at least the, the feeling and the sensations in my body, unless something's wrong. And I'm not talking about thinking about our bodies or feeling bad about our bodies. We probably all do that enough. But those are things of the mind. I'm talking about directly experiencing our bodies. It's a very physical sense of our very existence. Right? And if that seems too philosophical or far out. That's just mind again. It's another trap. Let's get back to the body. So, so like I said, just take something as simple as eating, which we'll be doing over the next couple of days together. There's so much going on with just eating, if we paid attention. Your tongue is on a constant adventure. That we could all, I mean, it, it would, you could fill volumes of what's going on if you paid attention to your tongue. But most of the time at mealtime, I want to turn the TV on. No tongue adventure, no mindfulness, just American Idol. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
we're going to try to put all that aside and have some adventures with eating. And I'll kind of get to that at the end. But the first foundation reminds us of any posture, any activity that you're involved in, to find yourself in it. Even right here, right now. Just close your eyes. Just close your eyes for a moment. And as you go inside, find your breath. And the natural rhythm of the breath is generally calming. Now feel all the sensations in your body. Just get present in your body. And as you stay present in your body, listen to that voice. That's me. And you could still hear me, hear me while you're paying attention to your body. It's amazing. You don't have to do the hearing. You can just hear me. So you can let go of that. Now keep paying attention to you. And open your eyes. And if you look in my general direction, you will see me. I just magically appear. You don't have to do the seeing. So you could let that go. But what I want you to do is stay present in your experience, mostly. And you can give me a little bit of attention, but you're bound to learn a lot more from you than you will from me. So everywhere we go this weekend, whatever we're doing, I want you to notice how much you can stay in your experience of what's happening. And as we delve into the body, we start to realize how the sense doors work, how our sense gates all these things getting information. And many of us spend very little time directly experiencing anything. We'll directly experience a little bit and then we'll think about it a whole bunch. So we're back to the mind door. So we're asking you to, to stay in your experience. See if you can directly experience food, walking, sitting, whatever posture we're in. When we wake up to our bodies, we find that it's a constant barrage of sensation at the most fundamental level of our experience. And most human beings live somewhere between two extremes of aversion and attachment. And I've talked a little bit about the aversion to our bodies, but let me speak to the attachment. How 
the Buddha laid out our attachment for our bodies is he asked us to consider what we're truly made of. To consider what I call the inmates of this flesh prison that we're in. It's quite a lineup. You could start with the spleen. The spleen. It sounds like a Mexican wrestler. Phlegm. Intestines, feces, bile, pus, blood, mucus, saliva, urine. I mean, the list of these horrors goes on and on. But the truth of the matter is, it's what we're actually composed of. And that's what we're here to find, right? It's the truth, right? And if that wasn't enough, we're being asked to visit a charnel ground or a cemetery, to visit a corpse even, to contemplate these bodies that we're in. And as the 18th century epitaph warns us, as you are, I once was, as I am, you shall be. Prepare yourself to follow me. We've done this practice in India at the funeral pyres, the fires. And even as a volunteer at hospice of seeing these bodies, these empty hotels, it's profound as it gets. This is our mortality. Our utter impermanence. And in the words of the Buddha, the deepest impression any thought can make on our path is impermanence. Any thought can make on our path is impermanence. If we could just get our heads around that one. So let's set an intention for this weekend to directly experience as much of our activity as possible. Full contact living. No holds barred. Whether you're listening to a talk or taking a shower. Just commit to being there. You don't have to do nothing. They don't even got you sweeping. You ain't got to worry about food. You ain't got no job. There ain't no phone calls, no emails. There's nothing you have to do. Just stay present in your body. When you're breathing, notice your breathing. When you're walking, notice you're walking. Just walk. You're sitting, just sit. As far as like a walking meditation, I usually pick about a 10 to 15 foot stretch. Hopefully not too crowded. And I walk slow just because it's a lot easier to pay attention to the lifting, the shifting, the placing, the lifting, the shifting, the placing of my feet. 
it's amazing to me that we can walk. The first time I did walking meditation, I was falling over. If you pay attention so much, it's just like, I, I think I overthought it. But it's an amazing practice. And I remember coming to my first retreats and thinking, oh, it's a walking meditation. I'm just going to go chill out. I'm going to go post up, go hang out, go hike. I thought that was basically a break. Some of my most profound moments in meditation have been walking meditations. So whatever that's worth. You can hold it however you want to. But uh, that's the truth for me. Eating meditation is basically the same. It's just one step at a time. Just noticing. Picking up our fork. Scooping our food putting our food in our mouth, putting the fork down. That's very difficult, very advanced practice. Put the fork down. (laughs) Chew your food. Take a sip of water if you'd like. Put the cup down. Pick the fork up. It's an amazing practice. It'll change your relationship to food. What we're trying to do here is practice being and not doing, right? My whole life I did. I did everything. I was always doing. I was never really being in my experiences. So for two days, you get to be with your experience. I'll challenge you to be with your experience. And beyond the thoughts and ideas, there's direct experience. And that's what I'd like us to commit to. That's my intention. There is nothing that deserves your attention more than you do. Nothing. That's what I know about the first foundation of mindfulness. Would you like to add anything? Tired? I'm on East Coast time. It's midnight. I'm ready to go out. (laughs) Simple, right? Just pay attention. To everything that arises and passes in this body. 
during sitting meditation, allow the breath, especially for tonight, tomorrow morning, to be the object of body, to be the aspect of the body that you pay attention to. Mindfulness of the sensations of the breath. When you're walking, as Vinny said, let that be the aspect of the body that you focus on. The feet on the ground, lifting, placing. Not just in the walking meditation, which we'll be doing tomorrow. When you stand up tonight, when you walk to the bathroom and back to your room. Present time awareness of the experience of walking. Now, all of this body awareness stuff, breath, body, eating, walking, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be thinking about something else, right? It doesn't mean that any of us have the ability to turn the mind off and the judgments and the ideas and the plans and the memories It means that we have the ability to redirect our attention from the thinking mind into the direct experience of the body. The mind will continue to think. Don't try to stop it. Just stop paying attention to it. You don't have to kill your mind. You're just redirecting, you're just shifting your attention from the thoughts, the ideas, the judgments, the plans, the concepts to the direct experience. Over and over and over and over. A million times this weekend, you'll catch yourself thinking, about something else, and you will gently, kindly, with a friendly, loving attitude towards yourself and each other, if possible, with the intention to be friendly towards yourself, bring your attention back to the body, to the breath. Please let go of the unrealistic expectation that you won't have thoughts or the deluded idea that if thoughts are arising, you're not meditating correctly. Thinking will definitely be part of our practice forever. It's what our brain does. Thank goodness, right? It's not a distraction. It's just part of this body process. But to be present, to be aware of the present time experience, the body is the focus for tonight, for tomorrow morning. And each time we find our attention being drawn into thinking rather than experiencing, gently returning back to the breath, back to the posture, to the body. Makes sense. You already know this stuff. We're just reminding you and encouraging you to use every aspect, everything that you do as practice.
when you're reaching out to push the door. Bring attention, present time awareness. It's lifting, it's pushing, it's contact with the door. It's reaching, it's grasping, it's lifting. It's releasing the muscles in the arm. It's placing, spilling. So just take a moment to stand if you'd like to or to just adjust your posture into sitting if you're ready to sit. If you need to stretch for a moment, please do, but please don't go anywhere. Just stretch for a moment. Mindfulness of standing, of movement. And whenever you're ready, finding a way to sit that feels sustainable. Making any adjustments. Necessary. And softening into the posture. Releasing the tension around the eyes or the jaw. Bringing attention to the body. And letting go of the extra held physical tension the body's carrying. Softening the belly with each outbreath. Relaxing into the here and now. Eyes to be closed, bringing full attention inward. Allowing the breath to be natural. Body breathing itself. Redirecting the attention to focus on the breath, to concentrate on the sensations of breathing at the tips of the nostrils or the rising and falling of the belly and the abdomen, 
Awareness of breath, sensations. can be helpful to add a little label or note in as the breath comes, as you experience the inhalation, out as the breath exits, the direct experience of exhaling. The Buddha's instructions were simple. He encouraged breathing in. Know that you're breathing in. Know it. Experience it. Feel it. Breathing out. Know that you're breathing out. Each time the attention gets drawn back into thinking. Acknowledging that that's what's happened, relaxing. And simply returning to the breath. With as little judgment as possible. Friendly. Training the mind. In present time awareness. Awareness of the breath.
trying to bring a quality of interest, investigation to the breath. Is there a temperature, a texture? Is the breath currently deep or shallow? Finding your own inner balance of the effort of returning to the breath, bringing the attention back to the present, and the relaxation physically, relaxing into any discomfort that may be arising, and the relaxed way of returning, friendly, 
gently coming back over and over to the next feeling of the breath, receiving it in awareness. Allowing the breath to be the anchor to this moment each time you get seduced by thinking, enchanted by memories or plans. Simply returning to the breath. If it's accessible to you, if you can feel it. While also beginning to expand to the body itself, the posture, the contact with the cushion or chair pressure, sensation, bringing attention to the way your hands are resting, your lap on your knees, the temperature, feeling of contact with the body.
attempting to relax into whatever's happening with awareness, with friendliness. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.